Uh, my name's Todd. I'm one of the pastors here at the chapel. We let uh, we had to give Ryan away for the weekend, and we sent him. He's over in our at our Norwalk campus. We're a multi-site church, one church that meets in three locations. And uh, Ryan is over at our Norwalk campus because he was too good for us to just you know let you guys hog him all the time. And uh, and so we wanted him to have some influence um, at our other two campuses for a couple weekends, and he'll be right back here next weekend with you. But when you think about it, every single one of us, whether you're a pastor on a stage, all of us have influence. And whether you're a mom, you're influencing your kids. Whether you're a student, you can influence your, your friends, whether you're a manager, you can lead, uh, influence those that lead and work under you. All of us have influence. And what we do with the influence that we have will make an impact in other people's lives. And how we impact other people will determine what kind of legacy we will leave. And that's what we want to talk about this weekend. This whole idea of living a legacy kind of life. And several years ago, uh, someone asked me a question that I have never, ever been able to shake since. And this is the question. They said, if you knew that your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers, students, friends, etc., were going to turn out to be just like you, what would you want to change about you starting right now? Maybe that question's hitting you like it first hit me. I first heard that question and I just wanted to crumble inside. I thought to myself, if, if my kids, if Laney and Gracie and Carter, if they were going to turn out to be exactly like me, what do I need to change right now? Because certainly we can all think of things in our life that we're not proud of, character, flaws, deficiencies in who we are, weaknesses, and, and those are the things we don't want to leave a legacy of those kinds of things, Right? So the good news is, the good news is, whoever we are now does not have to be who we are tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after. And God is always in the process of changing lives, changing our lives, step by step, so that we can live a real legacy kind of life. There's a, there's a psalm, uh, Psalm 112, that really speaks to this idea of legacy. And actually, it's coupled with Psalm 111. The two really could, could go hand in hand with one another. Psalm 111 really talks about the character of God, who God is, what God is like. And then Psalm 112, it's like David turns the page and he says, now this is what a, a person's life looks like. This is how their character begins to look when... They have a relationship with this God in Psalm 111. So I want to read Psalm 112 for us. And we're in this series called Navigating Life. We're studying some of the wisdom literature of the Bible. And we're going we're gonna to look at this passage, and then we're going to learn together. We're going to grab a hold of some deep and rich wisdom that will help us navigate towards a legacy kind of life. So let me read it. If you want to follow along in your sermon notes or on, on the uh, chapel app, you can do that as well. Psalm 112, beginning in verse 1, David says, Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Look at legacy start to rise to the surface now. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people, he says, will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will 
will last forever. Light shines in the darkness, he says, for the godly. They are generous and compassionate and righteous. And good, he says, comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. He says such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to take care of them. They are confident and fearless, and they can face their foes triumphantly, and they share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds, he says, will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. And then he contrasts all this with one short verse at the, at the very end. He says, but the wicked, the wicked will see this and they will be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. Because everyone understands nothing, nothing can compete with a legacy kind of life. And I don't know about you, that's the kind of life I want to live. So I want us to kind of pick apart this powerful psalm now, and, and there's, some, there's about five lessons that I think that we can take from this, five observations about what David is trying to say. And the first one is simply this, that a legacy life begins with a relationship with God. A legacy life begins with our relationship with God. This is why A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that for a minute, because what we think about God will determine how we relate to God. If we think God is a cosmic killjoy and he's always angry at us and he's always looking for us to break the rules so that he can, he can punish us, well, then that will determine how we relate to that God, right? On the flip side of that, if, if, we, if we also understand that not only is God righteous and holy and he has laws, but that he's also merciful and loving and filled with grace, well, then that too will determine how we relate to God. And David is saying that what, what we think about God is the most important thing because that's what will help us move. That's the very first step. It's the beginning point of this legacy kind of life. It is centered in how we view God, how we relate to God himself. That's why in verse 1, David says, how joyful are those who Fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Somebody has defined uh, the fear of the Lord as taking God and his word seriously. Uh, it's why in Psalm 111, remember I said Psalm 111 is almost coupled with Psalm 112. Here's what David wrote at the end of Psalm 111. He said, fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom and all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. All this, this fear and obedience, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, known as the wisest man that would ever live, after he had kind of had it all, done it all, lived it all, he comes to the end of his life in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. We'll put it on the screen for you. This is what he said. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. He says, fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Now, I read those verses, and honestly, when I get to that very last word, duty, that's oftentimes what Christianity has felt like, hasn't it? And church and religion. Like, is that, is that it? Is it just a duty? 
It takes me back to the verses that, that David starts Psalm 112 with when he says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word joy, uh, joy and fear don't necessarily fit together in my book. Do they for you? Like when I think about fear, I'm not thinking of joy. When I think about delight or happiness, as even David says in Psalm 112, I don't think about obeying commands. Like, isn't that like a grind? (laughs) So how could David say how joyful it is to fear the Lord? How much I delight, I have happiness, I celebrate in obeying commands. What was it that changed for David that he could say those things? That it moved that it moved from just a duty. Several years ago, uh, Lisa and I, we were working at a summer camp, kind of like Lakeside, and uh, we were running the youth department. And during the two summers that we were there, uh, I had taken notice of three teenagers that were in the youth program that we were helping with. They were the kids of Dan and Nancy Bishop. The whole week long, I just noticed how loving they were, how kind they were, how much it seemed like they, they really, these, these teenage, teenagers, they loved God and they respected others. And I remember pulling Dan aside one time and saying, Dan, what's the secret? See, I remember seeing Dan and Nancy's two sons and their daughter and thinking, man, if my kids, if my kids would turn out like their kids someday, I would, I would be a happy man. I would have a blessed life. And I remember think, asking Dan, what's your secret? And without hesitation, he looked right at, me, at me right in the eyes and he said, win their heart. He said, capture their heart. He said, because if you have their heart, you have them. How many of us know that um, just having rules, you know, making it all about duty, about obligations, about obeying commands, uh, without any sort of real relationship doesn't go real well, does it? See, what Dan was getting at was the secret that I think David had learned. That it's, it's more than simply rules. It's more than just obeying commands. It's more than just fearing God. See, I think David had come to a place where he had also experienced God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. David was called a man after God's own heart. You know why? You know why David spent the rest of his life chasing after God's heart? It's because God had captured David's heart. And so for David, his relationship with God, it wasn't based on rules and wasn't based on obligations and it wasn't based just upon commands because God had captured his heart. That's why in Psalm 112, he begins this whole thing saying, I, can, I, I have joy in fearing God. I take delight. I'm happy to follow God's commands, to obey his way, because I've, I've come to understand that God is for me. He loves me. He cares for me. He's looking out for me. That's why I say the first step towards a legacy life is all about our relationship with God. So let me ask you, how do you see God? Who is he really to you? And chances are there's many of us in the room that we've been living um, our quote-unquote Christian life for years, and it's weighed heavy on duty 
and obeying commands and fearing God. But maybe it's that way because God's never truly captured our hearts. We've never realized, like David, how deeply God loves us. How merciful he has been towards us. How compassionate he is to us. Well, David begins this psalm. He's trying to help us understand this first step towards a legacy kind of life is a is, has all to do with our relationship with God. But the second point goes almost without saying, and that is that a legacy life lives on. I mean, that's the definition of legacy, right? It lives on. And that's what he says. He says, and their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Leg- a legacy life lives on. It impacts others. It impacts your kids. It can impact a whole generation, David is saying. And it says in verse 3, they themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Now, I don't know about you, but there's two parts of these two verses that I have a problem with. (laughs) You ever had a problem with the Bible? Like, yeah, I don't like that, or I don't agree with that, or how does that, that doesn't make sense to me. You see, I read those verses and I go, they're children. So this is a seems to be saying that those who fear and obey God, that their hearts have been captured by him, and they, they live a life of fear and honor, honor to God, that their children, he says, will be successful. Well, what does that mean? Because life experience for me says that I've met a lot of people who really fear and honor God and love God and serve him. And it's not been, a hard, it's not been an easy go with their kids. Not everybody's kids turn out like Dan and Nancy Bishops. What's important, and then this, I mean, look at verse 3, talking about those that fear God and obey His way, they themselves will be wealthy. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Let's just, let's just preach that. Man, we'll have, this, this room will be even more packed out, right? Because that sounds like a good deal. Just, you know, fear God and honor Him and obey Him, and man, you're going to be wealthy. That's a pr- prosperity gospel. And is that, is that what it's really saying? This is why it's so important for us to understand what we're, what we're looking at is what we call wisdom literature. Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes and Psalm. It's not telling us foolproof promises. It's describing the way that life often goes, but it doesn't always go perfectly that way. That's what wisdom literature is. It's not promises. It's patterns. And so many times you do see this, these kinds of things fleshing themselves out in other people's lives, but oftentimes we don't. I mean, I've met a lot of, I've met a lot of people when I went to India with Pastor Jay a year and a half ago, and they loved God and they feared him and obeyed him, but they were not wealthy. They were, they were some of the poorest of the poor. You see, it's important for us to, to, to take in consideration the whole teaching of Scripture when it comes to issues like these, and to take into consideration the normal patterns of life that we do see. And the bottom line is, we live in a broken world, and we are broken people, and so the promises are not always 100%, but God is always 100%. He's always trustworthy. 
That, that, that if we spend our life obeying and fearing him, living in a relationship where he has captured our heart, we can trust him with the results, with our kids, with our finances, with whatever it will be, because he's trustworthy. And the legacy of our life, of honoring God with all that we are, it will live on. It will impact others in a significant way. Well, there's a third thing that I, I noticed in Psalm 112, and that is this, that really a, godly, a, a legacy life is a godly life. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, light shines in the darkness for the godly. Now, that, that verse could be interpreted in two, one of two ways, and I think either one of them could be correct. One way to interpret it is to say that the godly, their, their pathway will be lit, that, that they will always have direction in life no matter how dark it may get. And I think that's, that's very true. It's why David elsewhere says God's word is a, is a lamp unto our feet and a, a light for our path. But there's another way that that verse could be, could be interpreted is when it says light shines in the darkness for the godly, and then he describes what the godly are like. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. What he could be saying is that the godly become the light in the midst of the darkness because they stand out. Why do they stand out? We'll put the verse back up there. Because they are generous, compassionate, and righteous. And really what David is doing now is describing this legacy life and pointing us to the fact that it all has to do with our relationship with God. And as God begins to get a hold of our lives, he begins to influence our lives and our lives become patterned after his. We become more generous, more generous. This, this theme plays out several times in Psalm 112, but in verse 9 it says, they, they share freely and they give generously to those in need. They share freely and they give generously. Why? Because a legacy life, it doesn't grip what it has. It gives what it has. A couple years ago, our son Carter, he's a seventh grader now. When he was in fifth grade, he decided he wanted to join the school band and he wanted to play drums. So we got him a drum set. And, uh, you know, I was a musician, I played saxophone, but I, I've never played drums, I'm not a drummer, I don't know anything about drums, and so we just t got this used set, and I set it up in his bedroom, and threw it together, and I mean, he's been banging on them for the last two years, and he's getting better and better, but they didn't sound very good, <laughs> because things weren't set up right, the, the drums weren't, I didn't even know this was a thing, drums, you can tune drums, I know you tune guitars, but I didn't know you tuned drums. Well, a few weeks ago, he was going to go to this drum set camp. And I thought to myself, man, before he goes off to this drum set camp, he's going to be seeing all kinds of other kids. He has to bring his drum set. I don't, I don't want him to get made fun of. Like, we've got to get this drum set tuned up. Now, we have a couple drummers that have really invested in Carter's life. One of them was playing drums today. And, and Jeff, he's been giving Carter lessons, and he's invested in him and, and just helped him learn the skills. Another one of our drummers... Uh, offered at one point to, to come over and tune up Carter's drum set. So this is like a week before the drum camp, and I'm like, is there any way you can come over? He's like, yeah, I'll be there. So he shows up at our house, and he comes into our house, and he's got a toolbox of just tools for drums. And then he's got this, with him, he's carrying this big bin, like a Rubbermaid bin, and it's got all kinds of extra drum pieces and parts. 
And so he starts eyeing Carter's drum set, and all three of us are in the room there and looking at the drum set, and he says, all right, well, let's take this drum head off. And he's like, and I thought he was going to just tune them. I thought he was going to just, you know, tighten them, loosen them, make them sound good. He's like, no, this, this isn't going to do. Hang on a second. And he reaches down in his, his Rubbermaid bin, and he's like, oh, yeah, the, the, I think this will fit. This is, this is a lot better drum head. And so he puts that drum head on, and he seals it up, and and then he moves to the next drum, and I thought he was just going to tune it up. And he's like, oh, hang on a second, hang, hang on a second. And he reaches down, and he finds another. He's like, I think this will, actually, this will fit perfectly. And he puts it on, and then he's like, oh, and here, you, need, you need some of these. I'm like, what are those? He's like, those are muffles. He's like, trust me, you'll need these. <laughs> he's like, I'm like, what are they? He's like, they dampen the sound. I'm like, I love you. <laughs> By the time it was all said and done, he had replaced almost every drum head on Carter's drum set and tuned it perfectly. I mean, it sounded amazing. And I, you know, in the midst of this, I'm, you know, dollar signs are starting to go on in my brain. I'm like, no, you don't have to do it. He's like, no, I want to. Because a legacy life doesn't grip what it has. A legacy life gives what it has. Carter will never forget that. Being able to go off to his drum camp and have these nice new drum heads and his drum set just sounds so good. That's legacy. And David says a legacy life is a godly life and a godly life is a generous life. Why? Because God's generous. God's been so generous to us. Let me, many of you will know Susie. Susie, Susie is around here at our Port Clinton campus. She's often at the, at the doors greeting. She serves in our kids' celebration team behind the scenes, um, getting things set up for the kids. You know, Susie moved here about four years ago, and she, she, she left a pretty bad situation, literally walked away, moved up here with, with nothing for four years Susie didn't have any transportation. She would walk to work. She would, she would pray that God would provide for her. And a, a couple months ago, uh, a family from the church uh, came to us, and, and they were getting ready to purchase a new vehicle. And instead of doing you know, what I would do, what most people would do, you know, trade the old one in, put it towards the new, or sell the old one outright and use that money to put towards the new... No, they had something different in mind, and they just came to us as a church, and they said, is there anybody that you guys know that really needs some transportation? We'd like to, we just like, we just want to bless somebody, and man, Susie. And so there she is, standing with her new used keys and her little dog, and she said, this is, here, we'll put the quote back up. She said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Now I can finally go and visit my grandchildren. I can work in the winter. Why? Because she doesn't have to walk in the cold. And I can go to Bible study too. Thank you, Jesus. And that couple, who she doesn't even know, will never understand the impact that they've made in Susie's life. That's legacy living. So David says, a legacy life is a godly life. A godly life is a generous life, but not only that. Remember, he listed three things about a godly life. He said, not only is it a generous life, it is a compassionate 
life. I love this quote that says, people may forget what you said, but they will never forget how, you, how they made you feel. Did they feel loved? Did they feel compassion and care? You know, I was talking about the drummers earlier, uh, the influence Carter's life. Uh, the one drummer, Jeff, who was up here earlier, I remember him coming to me, you know, after a short while and saying, Todd, you're going to need to get a better drum instructor for Carter because I'm not going to be able to take him much farther. He's doing so well. He's got so much skill and ability, and my skill only goes so far. And I remember thinking in my heart, Jeff, you don't understand. It's not just about the skill. It's about the, the kind of person that you are the kind of care that you showed. See, I don't want Carter just to grow up to be able to play drums. I want him to grow up to care for people, love people, have compassion for people. The other drummer that gave Carter all those new drum heads and fixed his drum set all up, you know what struck me more than the generosity almost of of all all the equipment? It was the way that he took time. I mean, he could have gone up there and thrown those things on, and it would have been a done deal. No, he sat up there for hours with Carter, teaching him, showing him. I can, I can picture him right there, tightening one side of the drum head, and then he'd look over at Carter and say, all right, now your turn, just a half a turn. And then he'd shift down and he'd say, all right, I turned mine a halfway. All right, now you turn yours a half, half again. It was the care and the compassion That's the kind of stuff that leaves a legacy. That's the kind of mark that we want to make. Oftentimes, throughout the New Testament, Jesus, it says, and Jesus being moved with compassion. You see, when when we become more and more like Jesus, because a legacy life begins with our relationship with God. It can start to shape our lives, and because God has shown compassion towards us, we can be more compassionate towards other people. A legacy life is generous. A legacy life is compassionate. And then David listed one more thing in our psalm. He said a legacy life, a godly life, is a righteous life. Verse 5, he comes back to generosity again. He says, good comes to those who lend money generously, and catch this, and conduct their business fairly. That is, they do the right thing. They live righteously, no matter what, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost, even to them. He says they conduct their business fairly. And in that day, there were so many that weren't conducting their business fairly. And things haven't changed that much today, have they? He says, you want to make an impact. You want to live a legacy kind of life, a legacy kind of life is just generous and compassionate and just does the right thing. Because guess what? That stands out in this world. That sticks out in this culture. That leaves a mark on people when they rub shoulders with others that just always do what's right no matter what. Because there's some core conviction in their hearts because God has captured their heart and it's changing their life. That's a, that's a legacy kind of life. I love what Carrie Newhoff says. He says, your competency leaves the first impression, but it's our character that leaves the lasting one. Righteousness, character, integrity, legacy. 
Well, there's a fourth thing that I notice about a, a legacy kind of life that David says here, and that is that a legacy life, it stands in adversity. Look at verse 6. It says, such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. Verse 7, they do not fear bad news. Instead, they confidently trust that the Lord will take care of them. And they are confident and fearless, and they face their foes triumphantly. Just a couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a lady in our office. She's been through cancer multiple times, and I just asked how she was doing. She had just had another, you know, scan or, you know, whatever. And she said, it's not good. She said, I got to go back for another scan. They saw more spots. And the cancer's back. You know, I've never sat in that seat. And I'd like to think how I would respond if I got that kind of doctor's report. I, I, I hope to think how I would respond. But I have to be honest, there's a part of me that thinks I would just crumble in fear. Fear is real. I mean, and, and, and when your life is on the line and there's so much yet to live for. And what was so amazing to me as I sat there across from this woman and she was giving me this update, she just kept saying, but God's got me. God's got me. She didn't have to fear bad news. Why? Because she trusted the Lord was going to take care of her. It doesn't mean that there's not moments of fear, that, that we don't face fears, but it's that we don't have to live in fear. In fact, you know, the way that we don't live in fear of all those other things in life, all the circumstances that can bog us down, all the dangers that we face, the reason that we can avoid living in fear is because we fear God himself. We have a holy awe of who he is, and, and included in that is how much he loves us and cares for us, that nothing will happen to us outside of his still love and care. And that's what David was saying. They don't have to fear bad news. They, they trust God. He, he goes on in those verses to say that they're, they're confident and fearless, and they face their foes triumphantly no matter what their foe might be. That's a legacy kind of life, one that stands in the face of adversity. And there's one last thing that I see David saying to us, and that is this, that a legacy life will always, always be remembered. Verse 9 says, they share freely and they give generously to those in need. Their good deeds, he says, will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. And that's really key. They will have influence and honor. You know, it's, it's possible to have, to have influence, but not have honor. You see, if we've been given positions of authority, if we have power ourselves, we can, we can wield that power, we can use that power, and guess what? It'll influence people. They'll, do, they'll have to do what we say, but it'll just be out of fear. It won't be because we've captured their hearts in relationship and we love them and they know that we care about them. 
And we might have influence, but we won't have honor. The only way that we'll have honor with influence and truly live a legacy is is centered in our relationship with God, that that that's where any influence and impact comes. You know, a a couple months ago, we celebrated the, the retirement of one of our pastors, Pastor Dave Brown. And Dave and Donna have served faithfully. And I remember being at the, at, the, at the celebration for Dave and Donna. And first and foremost, I was encouraged for them because, man, you heard so many good things. And, and, and they were so built up, so lifted up. And it reminded me, one of, in fact, one of Dave's friends stood up and said, I guess I'm giving your eulogy early. <laughs> and I thought about that. You know, we, we ought to give some eulogies while the people who have impacted us and influenced us and encouraged us and blessed us and helped us and built into our lives, we ought to give some eulogies to those people before they're gone. We ought to tell them what they've meant to us, how they've impacted our lives, the legacy that they are already leaving in our lives. And I was so encouraged to hear what people had to say about Dave and Donna. I was encouraged for them that that's how they would go out, so to speak. And they're not done. They're continuing to serve and love God and love people and serve in our church. But just as encouraged as I was for Dave, I was challenged. I walked away from that celebration going, that's a legacy. And is that how people will talk about me one day? Because a legacy life will be long remembered. So the question is, what are we going to be remembered for? So I want to close our service the same way that we began with a simple but profound question. If you knew that those that your life is influencing were going to turn out to be just like you, what would you want to change about you starting right now? And you know the amazing thing is? God is he's ready to change. He's ready to help. He's ready to step in to make our lives count like never, ever before. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have been generous to us. Jesus, thank you that you have had compassion on me, on us. And Jesus, thank you that you are the righteous one. And though you came as one righteous and perfect, you you gave up that righteousness and took upon yourself our sins, our mistakes, our flaws. And you took them to the cross and you traded and gave us your righteousness. Jesus, thank you for the impact that you have made in many lives and continue to make in my life. And God, I pray that you would help your characteristics of generosity and love and compassion and righteousness as those things about you impact me, impact us, God, that in turn our lives would impact others in the same way. Help us to live this legacy life. And we ask for your strength, your power, your help to to leave a mark in this world. In Jesus' name we pray together, amen.